The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to the England Show podcast from The Athletic. England have just beaten Germany in the knockout stages of a major tournament for the first time since 1966 and it is a wonderful feeling, the kind of feeling I didn't think I was ever going to have in my lifetime. I'm going to try not to float up to the ceiling as I take you through the events of the day with David Priest and Karl Anker. So without further ado, here's our analysis of England 2, Germany 0. This is not a drill, you did hear me correctly. I just thought it was a brilliant afternoon, you know. Um, we've talked about bringing enjoyment to the nation, really, and afternoons like this are what that's about. And the players were absolutely immense right the way through the team. Um, and the fans were as well, you know, they get, I mean, only 40,000, but it, it's as good an atmosphere as I can remember in Wembley. So we played extremely well. Um, I think we deserved the win. But I've had to say to them straight away, look, I'm the party pooper because if we go and we don't capitalise on that on Saturday now, then it doesn't count for anything. You know that you change the shape, you pick certain personnel instead of others, and if it goes wrong, you're dead. So we had to go about it in the way we believed. We wanted aggressive pressure all over the field. We felt that to match them up was the right way of doing that. And we felt that speed in behind Harry would cause them a problem and I thought Bukayo and Raheem right from the start really created that um, jeopardy in their back line. We know that they were going to have moments of possession because they've got really good footballers, experienced players, but our defenders and uh, well the whole team defended incredibly, the goalkeeper right the way through. So it was a, a, a fabulous performance, I can't you know, give enough credit to the players. No, I'm, I'm just so pleased. Um, I was looking at the big screen and I saw Dave Seaman up there and for the teammates that played with me, I can't change that. So that's always going to hurt. But what's lovely is that we've given people uh, another day to remember and now we've got to go and do it in Rome. Lovely words there from Gareth Southgate. What a man. A lot of criticism before the game, but he's come up trumps in England, are in the quarterfinals. An incredible day at Wembley, and one we're going to digest with former goalkeeper turned coach and journalist David Priest. And as always, post match, we've got Carl Anker, who was at the stadium for the Athletic with us as well. Carl, how was it? Must have been absolutely incredible. Yeah. Wow. That is a. Uh... I sang Sweet Caroline a lot today, uh, both before, during, after. It was a wonderful moment at full time, where after Southgate has sort of done his very dignified lap in his suit and waved goodbye to everyone. He has sort of had Luke Shaw, Carl Walker, Jack Grealish, whatever, and come over uh, to, to sort of the press side, but on the left-hand side where the majority of the England fans were, and they just very much got into a rendition of Sweet Caroline and... Uh, it's just an incredible day. I, I can't believe it. Uh, I, I just about held it together and didn't start crying until a friend went, until a friend went, we did it in 90 minutes. And I thought, set me off. But yeah, 90 minutes. They did it in 90 minutes. There was actually not that much peril involved. Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, you look quite drained, Carl. I mean, David, welcome to the podcast as well. It, it really it was just an incredible day in the end. The first half was perhaps a little bit flat, but Carl talks there there with an, with an emotion. It was an emotional day for, for the whole country, especially after what the world's been through and what England's obviously been through in the last 18 months or so. That felt like a magical day for the whole country. Yeah, it was. And do you know what makes a difference? I think there's a, there's a different kind of expectation now with England. You know, we there's still that old expectation that... We're England and, you know, we, we should be doing better in competitions. But also that some of that seeped away a little bit now. And I, I know for myself, sort of pre-tournament and in the group stages, I, I got myself thinking, well, especially if we're going to win the group, then we're going to play one of France, Portugal or Germany. And that will mm. be the end of us. We, we just won't have enough to, to go through. And then it, it, as it turns out, eventually, you know, we haven't really been, um, you know, it wasn't, it's not that it wasn't in doubt, but apart from the the, the uh, 
Muller chance and, uh, and Werner in the first half, you didn't really feel under pressure. And in the end, the the when the goals came, it, it's it made the rest of the performance so much better. And I think yeah. that um, uh, and and in the end, it's of course it's I'm going to be measured again like uh, like Gareth Southgate. It is only a last sixteen, but I also think that for the psyche of the country of the footballing country, it's a it's a massive massive win, you know, to win in like. Carl said to win in next uh, in ninety minutes and not need penalties, and to do it against a, a country like Germany, it's just it's it is a bigger win than just a, a last sixteen victory. Yeah, I mean, someone else who's always very very measured is the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook. Carl wasn't the only one at Wembley this evening. Let's hear what Jack made of the game. I'm at a fairly empty now Wembley Stadium where England put in what I think is one of the best England results and performances I can ever remember. I mean, to beat a team like Germany at home in a knockout game in a tournament in 90 minutes without needing extra time or penalties is the kind of thing that England never do. And so to experience it here with a crowd that was only half full but felt like it was fully full was a real and genuine privilege and a very emotionally powerful moment I think for everyone here it was also a complete vindication for Gareth Southgate I mean lots of people didn't favour his 3-4-3 system that he went into the game with but I thought it worked really well Uh, England had total control of the game after a pretty shaky start eventually they wore Germany down brought on Jack Grealish at precisely the right time and then picked them off in the second half with those late goals from Sterling and Kane. I mean, I don't know exactly what Gareth Southgate's pre-match plan was, but it's hard to imagine it was too different from what actually happened on the pitch. So, England are off to Rome on Saturday for the quarter-final. They're favourites for that. And without wanting to get too far ahead of ourselves, England are now in a good position. They've already done things that people said they could never do by winning a game like this. They've kept four clean sheets in their four games so far. They've never looked too under threat except for that one Thomas Muller chance with about 10 minutes left here. And yeah, there's plenty more challenges ahead, but a hugely successful and enjoyable evening for England. You're listening to The England Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. David Priest and Carl Anker with me to go through the game. And David... It was actually a cagey first half, but did perhaps England shade it, would you say? Yeah, I, I definitely would say that. I mean, the first 10, 15 minutes, Germany had control of the game. They started the game. And of course, with their experience, you know, the likes of Cruz and Muller, they're going to do that. You know, they're settling into the game really well. We looked a little bit nervy, to be honest with you. But as we grew into the game and... It, it, when we're attacking teams, we're, we're, we're using pace. We're driving with the ball. It's, a, you know, the the way in which we approached the game was similar. You know, we matched Germany up. We wanted to uh, to match them up. We did that. But the way that we went about things was, was, was totally different. I've got, you know, you have to have massive respect for Germany, the way they play the game. They've got players like Muller and Cruz who use space so intelligently. And when they go through the through the lines, you know, it's it just it, it's with a little bit more intelligence. It's not to say, you know, the way that we do it by working on transition, taking advantage of transition when we win the ball, driving with the ball and, and getting past people that way. You know, it doesn't mean that that's a worse way of doing it, but it, it definitely was different. And um, and once we started getting hold of the ball a little bit and being patient, which the crowd weren't, there was a couple of times when the, the ball was out wide and they just they just wanted thrown into the box. Yeah. When actually by holding onto the ball and, and working uh, another pass or two to, to get in a better position, um, we started to get a little bit more influence on the game. And I think that. It would have been probably just desserts if um, if Harry Kane had been able to stick that chance away at the uh, at the end of the first half. Yeah, it would have been an ideal time to score. I mean, Carl, David's kind of alluding to it there a little bit. Germany have got players that have been in that situation so many times in the big games 
Whereas the England side, it is an inexperienced side at this level in the knockout tournament stages. And the first half was very much the two teams feeling each other out, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing to, for England to hold their own in that first half. Yes, it wasn't spectacular, but they're actually learning as the game's going on, as the half went on, and, and they did grow into it, like David says. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, scrappy, but almost by design. Uh, I think David's completely bang on. England, England went to match him in terms of shape, and I think that speaks to the bravery. We often, you know, they say you know Southgate's conservative, always an economist, but that was a really brave thing to do to go up against Germany. And go, we're going to match you man for man, man for shape. You know, you want to play wing backs, we'll play wing backs, and we will essentially gamble on the fact that our back three or back five is stronger than your attacking numbers. Uh, and even though it was nominally a, a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2, what you tended to get was this sort of 5-2-3 shape, which is very weird. So sort of the wing-backs dropped deep, joined this back three. You had uh, Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips as your pivot, and then you still had Sterling and Saka trying to pin back German defenders, and you had Harry Kane sort of moving horizontally, which I didn't enjoy too much in the first half, but eventually came good in the second and the bravery in the first half was England saying, we're going to have our wide players and try and pressure you up wide and have our attacking players pinned back the German team. But also we're willing to essentially vacate the space in the middle because we trust Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips to be sensible in there. And Declan Rice gets a yellow card very early on in this game. And I was quite worried. I think this is, you know, you have this sort of, what I describe the England fear, where you sort of things happen in an England game, you go, that's going to be important 30 minutes from now. So if a player gets a yellow card, you go, he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy that gets the uh, really devastating red card in the 65th minute or something like that. And I thought, Declan Rice, early yellow card, that was that was dangerous. But Rice was incredibly well measured and played really good football on the yellow card. There were loads of moments where, you know, as David says, England are more of a team that's about transition rather than manipulating the space. But there's just they're really gobby on the defensive transition. So if they have a corner and Germany clear it, you can immediately see someone like Declan Rice or you can see someone like Harry Maguire or you can see Luke Shaw just yelling at each other, I've got this one, I've got this one, I've got this one. Which sounds you know, a bit five-a-side, but in a single elimination game where if you just switch off for a moment, someone like Werner is through. That stuff is really, really important. So the first half was England had probably the majority of the chances. Germany probably had the better chances from what I felt uh, and I wasn't too nervous although I was saying some unsavory things about one or two attacking players in England's personnel what about you where did you watch the game me I watched it watched it at home <laughs> on my own being, being, profession, being professional Carl taking notes all the way through the game remaining impartial making sure that I came on the podcast in the clearest mind possible I mean First, I agree with you. I thought the first half, it did feel a little bit flat. But like David says, you can now go back and look at it and say that was the platform for the second half being so solid. I I, quite, I asked a few questions of the team before the game, if I'm being honest, the, the team selection. But actually, when I saw Walker, Stones and Maguire in that back three, it kind of took me back to the World Cup in, in 2018. And you realise, actually, they're all pretty good at what they do in the back three there. They all complement each other really, really well. And... Actually, I'm really impressed with John Stones, David. I think I think he's really stepped up this year. He's had a good season for Man City, but I always, in the back of my mind, think it must be quite easy playing playing for Man City at the back. But watching him for England, he has really, really grown, hasn't he? Yeah, in that back three role, especially in the in the centre, it's it's a role that can be easy if you want to make it easy. You know, it, it, in certain uh, in certain systems, it's it's a place where you can you put the the fastest player or the player who isn't the the best on the ball. Um, it's more important to have the the play the lateral central defenders to to be better on the ball. But all three are comfortable on the ball, and like you said, they, they complement each other really well. And and apart from once when he he stepped into to midfield to I think he tried try to press Muller and he he got pulled out of his space and Greska goes in behind I think it's the when Rice got the yellow card. Um, apart from that one moment, the rest of it's pretty flawless. And I think that the way that we play, you can say that it's conservative and safe, but at the end of the day, it's uh, it's about being effective in these tournaments. Now I've heard a lot of people, especially putting it on TV, say, "Oh, we need to be more attacking because you know that's how you win tournaments." Did they see Greece? Did they see Portugal? Yeah, you know yeah. it's 
and and it's all right what we want, and I'm and I'm exactly the same. I you know, um, Carl did a piece post match, you know, mentioning the full uh, the wing backs, and I, and I think wing backs are massive in this system. But if they're being asked to be conservative and and and, and you know allowing the wide players to double up like Sterling and, and Saka and, and helping them out, and then and then be more attacking later on, then it worked. The game plan worked to a T. You know, and um, and he still has the option to put Saka as a wing back or uh, to have somebody, uh, other players more attacking those positions if needs be. But again, the, the game plan of, is in all games, maybe apart from the uh, the Scotland game, have all gone pretty much to plan. And, and if that's the case, then it's whether it's boring or not, we can talk about it. But it's like I said before, and I think we've said it before in other uh, in past podcasts, it was. Um, you know, there's a difference between pragmatism and uh, and control. And today, it looked like we had real control. Yeah, Carl, we've watched some crazy games in this Euros, especially over the knockout phase, and teams can't defend. <laughs> Gareth Southgate looks like he's he's got it spot on because England can defend, still zero goals conceded. In the first half, again, like Davey said earlier, that, that defence is up against clever players. Havertz was quite fluid with his movement. Werner's always on the move. You know, there's players that are difficult to pick up and it can be easy to be dragged out. But we didn't really see that in the first half at all. Not too much. And that, that speaks to the the strength of that back three, of, of Stones, of Maguire and of Walker. Because, again, that was very much England matching it. That was, that was Southgate going right. In a very... And again, this is why I wouldn't call it conservative, because that's a very brave thing to do. You're basically assigning every single man of your back three. You have to beat your opposite man every single time, because if you don't, this whole thing crumbles. And they were basically risking Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice to do that system. And the fact that all those men in the back three stood tall, and the fact that I don't particularly think Luke Shaw and Raheem Sterling have a great understanding on the left-hand side, especially on overlaps, but the fact that Southgate went, I'm just going to risk this for this opening segment, and then later on we can start talking about overlaps later. Again, this is the... It's a bit easy to describe. It's not... Prag, pragmatism doesn't necessarily mean you're conservative. Pragmatism means you're practical, right? It's just looking at what you've got and saying, based on these amount of personnel, this is probably the best way to do it. And I've keep, I've been on this podcast loads of times and said, Southgate told us all in March, he's looking at what France did and he looks at what Portugal did and he said, I need to learn how to win big games. The worry, and I think the worry that a lot of people had was, and this is still the weird worry a lot of the people have, is basically if England don't win the tournament, then his decisions were wrong, which is too much of a zero-sum game. You can't say the method was wrong at the moment of failure. You have to say, is this working all the time? And it is. I'm not going to say it's a comfortable watch. I'm not going to say it's an enjoyable watch. I'd say up until the 55th minute, I'm clapping my hands and going, Southgate, please, for the love of God, do something. But if the plan is to basically nullify the opposition, control the space, and then rely on the fact that your defenders are going to be a match for anything they can throw at you, that wins World Cups, right? Didier Deschamps did that and won a World Cup. That wins Euros. Fernando Santos did that in 2016. That wins Nations Leagues. That is the thing Southgate has gone, we can do that. Because not only do I have some of the best defenders or better defenders in a component system compared to anyone else in the Euros, but also at any point in time, if it gets to 60 minutes, I can throw on a Jack Grealish or I can throw on a Jaden Sancho or I can throw on a Marcus Rashford. It's, it's true pragmatism. It's looking at everything you've got in your squad and saying, how can I take effect 90 minutes, not just be really good for 20 I think the substitutes are um, a great subject simply because at the moment, you know, the old adage about, you know, everyone's got a plan in a, in a boxing fight and uh, until they get punched on the nose. England haven't been punched on the nose yet. They haven't had to react uh, to to, uh, to going behind. So that's the one thing, that one test they've got to come yet. But at the same time, they've got game changes. That's what they've got on the bench. So whoever they leave out... That can still be a plus that they've got them to bring on. They can, they can change the game and they can, uh, you know, we can, we can change things up as well. Now, at the same time, uh, Carl's talking about there, you know, I was thinking to myself that Southgate needs to make the change, not just for the sake of making the change, but also I've got a big thing about managers making the first substitution, especially if it's a substitution that tweaks 
the system a little bit or gives a little a different dimension to to your team simply because then uh, you settle both teams settle in the game. Both managers have got had a good look at things. If you're the first one who can make the first change and like I said, tweak it a little bit, then it forces the other manager to to have to respond to that and react. I just thought he could have done it maybe five minutes earlier because. Uh, uh, Joachim Lowe, he he uh, he brought on Gnabry, so it was kind of like you know both teams had to sort of weigh things up a little bit. But um, yeah, I'd like to see that a little bit more. Let's let's not get too far. It doesn't have any any spoilers. There might be some people listening to this show, you know, listening back to what happened in the first half, and they don't know what's coming. They don't know what happened in the second half. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We've spoke there, David, about it about it being practical, and it, and it is, and it isn't always easier on the eye. And one, one thing you could say England have lost, and it was quite apparent in the first half really struggled to get Harry Kane into the game or Harry Kane struggled to get himself into the game? Which way do you see it? I've been having a little bit of think about this after the game and we, we can see that he looks a bit sort of uh, lacklustre and he, he doesn't look himself, but, you know, I'm not putting him in the same bracket at all, but, you know, you, you know, you look, you look at, especially if you go and watch them live, go and watch Messi or Ronaldo, what they do, you know, without the ball, is uh, is minimal to say the least. Um, of course, England's probably aren't at, the, aren't at that level or aren't the team that um, can rely on him just to be you know wandering about and doing nothing. But at the same time, it's um, it's difficult to complain for me at the moment. Now, like I said, you know, we can say about you know, can we bring somebody else in? Can Rashford come in? Can uh, Calvert Lewin come in? Yeah, they can do that, and maybe do a different job and maybe Rashford is the one that's, that, that can do that. I just think that the only problem with him at the moment is, is that we'll lose the opportunity to stretch teams because he's coming deep. And often when you get a strike or the, 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 the forward, this furthest forward, they're the ones who push the opposition back. So whether it's in free play and they're making runs like Werner was today, he just, if, even if he just makes the defence drop four or five yards, he opens up space somewhere for somebody, uh, for or for the whole team to play in. And when you get further towards the box, you're the one that's attacking the six-yard box and opening up space and leaving space behind. But we're just not quite creating that at the moment uh, and taking advantage of it. But if that's not the game plan and if that's not what Gareth Southgate is, uh, is aiming for, then, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's difficult to complain about it or to, to say we should be doing this. I guess Saka and Sterling were quite heavily involved in that first half, Carl. They, they look pretty dangerous. Is, is maybe anything that Kane's doing off the ball a factor there and that it's helping those two? Kind of. I do worry, or I spent a long part of that game worrying that Kane was doing too much. So you know, the, the joy Harry Kane is, he, he's sometimes a nine, he's sometimes a ten. He's also a pretty good box-to-box midfielder when the time comes. But he does look lacking... A little bit of something, and what what tends to happen when Kane isn't having a great game is he tends to go looking for the ball. He tends he tends to try and create more opportunities rather than saying bring the ball to me. Which I know what David's saying, but I, I tend to when I'm playing football, I tend to just yell at a striker when they're dropping deep. I'm like, no, that's that's my work. You you stay in the middle and you occupy those centre backs and the way England were playing up front it was very much you wanted England's front three to occupy Germany's front three so when Kane was vacating the space or drifting left and right he wasn't necessarily drifting defenders left and right he was just coming for the ball and going you've got to get out of the way I need you to stay in the middle Um, it's tricky because you know this is what Kane does and you know that at any point in time it could come off he could get the ball from a number box to box position spin it out play the pass down the left and then start the counter-attack. And I think this is what makes him difficult to drop necessarily. And this is why Kane is of such a talent that you do end up having moments where you say this guy is not having a great game and then he turns around and does something amazing because he he will keep trying. And we know he's a, a player of supreme mental confidence. And if it's not going well, even though he might not look the best, he's still going to keep trying. I would like him to try just a little bit less and be a little more focused in his in his routine, but he scored, so I should be quiet. <laughs> it's one of these things in football that seems too simple to be true. That sometimes a striker doing nothing, and like Carl says, 
just holding his position further forward. It's the hardest thing to do because if you're not in the game, there's kind of an action bias at work that, you know, if I do something, if I do anything, it's better than doing nothing. But sometimes that isn't the case. Less is more. He also looks like he just misses that. He, I mean, Kane was never electric quick, but he did have a good two or three first step to get behind a defender, to get in front of a defender. And he doesn't, he hasn't had that so far at the Euros, which makes things a little bit difficult. I'm seeing him do a lot of runs in front of centre-backs, which when you're not the quickest and you're running in front of a centre-back and going, okay, well, he knows where you are now and he will catch up to you. So you've got to try and be a bit sneakier. So I'm I'm assuming things will improve. He's very much a, you know, he's a very confident man and things will get better. But I, yeah, there were moments where I was talking to other journalists, uh, not just of English persuasion, but also of German persuasion and going, What's going on with the striker? He did nearly bag on half time, though. Very, very good chance. Obviously, he couldn't quite t- took it away. Perhaps made the wrong decision taking a touch, Carl. But like we were talking about earlier, it's kind of one of those ones where right on half time, England have a big chance, and you think in the script, uh oh, that's that's going to come back and haunt us in the second half. Was that very much the mood in the press box? A little bit. So it was one of those things where, so it looked when you're watching it live, it looked as if. Sterling, so obviously Sterling gets the ball, he drives into the box, he sort of gets that triple team, gets fouled, or gets what looks as a foul on the edge of the box, and everyone sort of immediately spins your attention to the referee to see if it's a penalty. But the ball keeps bobbling on, and then it creates that little opportunity for Kane and the rest of them. And I think it was very much a case of, by the time everyone at Wembley and everyone on of England persuasion realised that the ball was still travelling and could have been a good goal topping opportunity. The opportunity completely disappeared. Um and yeah, I did have that moment, Dan, where you sort of you you're basically writing the BBC montage in your head as it goes along and you're like, that's the that's the Gaza if his toenails were a bit longer chance. Uh, luckily that didn't come to pass. They were almost getting the Oasis stop crying your heart out track ready, weren't they? <laughs> getting the montage ready for, for that. So it was a measured and decent showing in the first half, but that didn't really make it any less nerve-wracking. Obviously, we all know that glory awaits, but before we get into that, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. Welcome back to a buoyant England show from The Athletic with David Priest, Carl Anker and me, Dan Bardell. Now, as we mentioned earlier, I was watching the game at home, pretty much from behind my sofa in the first half, but a more comfortable second half, as we said. I'm sure many of you are watching it in busy pubs and fan parks across the country as well. 
two people doing just that were our North East correspondents George Colkin and Chris Woff. Here's how the game sounded for them. Hello, this is George Culkin. Uh, I'm at Central Park at the Centre for Life in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, here with Chris Woff, my colleague, and it's about 2.30 on Tuesday ahead of England versus Germany, and we're watching in a big fan zone. My Englishness ties in with football tournaments. I think the times I felt most English in my life, 1990, 1996. I mean, having written a fair bit about the tournament this time, I'm... I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I think um, it has a it has the capacity to kind of shake us out of the malaise that we're all in at the minute. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this. We've got Bobby Robson on the screen in front of us. One night in Shirin. Sadly, we can't hear hear that film because it's been drowned out by music. But yeah, come on, I'm up for it. Come on, England. We're a pint team. We've listened to a lot of '80s music. Um, the BBC programme has started and the teams are out. Chris, what do you think about the team? I can understand why people are a bit disappointed. I've heard a few sort of mumblings about playing three at the back. But I, I can also understand why you'd match up against Germany and try and nullify their wing-backs. I just hope the midfield too, that Calvin Phillips gets forward a bit more. Otherwise, it could be a bit of a disappointing afternoon for everyone here because they get very excited now. Yeah, it's very noisy now. We're all singing along to World in Motion. I hope those two sitting midfielders don't sit too much. I hope Phillips can get forward a bit. I'm very sad not to see Phil Foden. Um, but hopefully his time can still come. Anyway, not long till kick-off now. They're in the tunnel now. We've had all the songs, we've had uh, all the old classics in inverted commas, but... The atmosphere is building up, it's very loud, very loud here, very leery, quite raucous, but I'm excited. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as I'm intrigued as to what's going to happen. Oh, you can't be intrigued, Chris, for God's sake. It's exciting, it's noisy, it smells of beer and men and cigarettes and, oh, I don't know. A burger was lovely, I enjoyed it. Yeah, we had a burger, that was nice as well. Come on, England, here we go. Halfway through the first half, Jesus, I didn't enjoy the first five minutes, the first ten minutes. So deep, so nervous, so much on the back foot. Then we've had that little burst forward and Sterling shot, which kind of came from nowhere. But it's uh, it's an edgy crowd. It's an edgy crowd. It is an edgy crowd. I mean, England are really growing into it. I mean, Germany, apart from the really, really good pass from Muller to split the defence and, uh, and set... Goretzka away for the free kick. I don't think they've really done that much of gyms. They look quite slow. And uh, yeah, I think the crowd are starting to get into it. There are nerves there, but I think that they think that England can do this. <laughs> it's half time now and nil nil. It's been relatively subdued. I wouldn't say flat, but I mean, the, the game itself's been relatively flat. Uh, England haven't given fans much to shout for I'd say they've been in control without really creating too many chances obviously the big Kane incident just before the break got everyone very excited George what, what have you made of the atmosphere so far yeah I mean it's been the, the, the first five ten minutes just kind of knocked it knocked the stuffing out of everybody I think it's been much better since then feels like England are controlling this I think but not in a way that feels particularly dangerous or threatening it feels very slow and deliberate but uh, they have they have a measure of control, so that's that's good. It's going to get ner more nervous, I think, as time goes on. There's a massive queue for the toilets now. We're three pints in. The toilets are going to become uh, that's going to become my main thought from this point. I think nerves plus needing a piss. Well, we've got 45 minutes plus probably another half an hour in penalties to go. So uh, yes, we'll enjoy that. All right. So there's a big cheer just gone up. It's the 67th minute. Lots of chance of super Jackie Grealish. Looks like Grealish is coming on. I think England need that. I'm feeling nervous now, Chris. It's uh, People are very drunk. Um, but And there's lots of kind of chanting and stuff like that. It doesn't feel like there's a lot happening on the pitch, I don't think. Something needs to happen. Well, I think that a lot of people have sort of lost interest a little bit in the game and are trying to generate their own atmosphere by singing. We've had a lot of England chants. We've had a lot of other chances you say, Super Jack, people want them on. So... England need to, well, I mean, the game's drifting a little bit. It needs something to happen. And I can understand why you're getting nervous because uh, if, if someone scores now, I think one goal will win it. We all know how this bloody ends, don't we? Jesus. Absolutely drenched in beer here. 
England are 1-0 up. Amazingly, what amazement is the fuck, I can't even speak. Muller's just missed. Uh, it's been absolute mayhem. Everything drenched. The fences came down. The beer glasses went everywhere. There's a feeling that we can do it. I can't believe it. Well, I don't think anyone else does because I don't think they're watching the game anymore. I think they already think that it's coming home by the sounds of it. I mean, it's just constant chatting now. They've certainly enjoyed that goal. But yeah, beer everywhere, tables strewn everywhere. There's a fence in front of us that's being kicked in. Uh, so yeah, a few wild celebrations. What a moment, what a moment. We're uh, three minutes away from the quarterfinals. It's fucking 2 0. It's 2 0. Bloody 2 0. It's 2 0 to England against Germany. And deserved at the end. I mean, they've taken their chances clean. Muller missing that chance sort of transformed the game. In. It's the 92nd minute. I'm drenched. I've never. I've, I've just had a beer shower. I've had two beer showers. And nobody's watching it get literally. No one gives a toss, Chris. No one cares. We're not watching. We're not bothered. We're through. We've done it. I can't believe it. Cannot believe it. Absolutely <laughs> loved that. That was as enjoyable as the game, listening back to that. I mean, I think my favourite thing was when they were saying how many points in they were and they were clearly lying. <laughs> Definitely not trying to, trying to be professional at the start. Oh, I'm just a, just a point in. Clearly, they'd both had three or four at that point. And just hearing the mood change, especially for, for George, he, he just, they, it sounded like they knew how it was going to... Well, they thought they knew how it was going to go, David. They were wrong, but that was a great listen. It was. He got increasingly croaky towards the end, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's, nice, it's, like, it's nice to to see George happy or sound happy anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, it was. I think it's, it's how we all felt, wasn't it? You know, like I said, yeah. it, the the fact that we, we we go into these with a bit more trepidation and less uh, and less confidence than we used to. You know, when you do win it, it's all more sweeter, isn't it? Carl, I mean, I thought you you had you had the best seat in the house at Wembley. It sounds like it was quite good there. Oh yeah, I mean, it's sort of that first goal that will that'll live long in my memory, certainly. And uh, there was a little moment right near the end, so sort of full time happens, and you have that eruption and whatnot. And it's just Jack Grealish, just sort of waving to everyone. Uh, he's 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 barely played. Yeah, in terms of comparative England minutes to everyone else and everyone in fact everyone's called him Super Jack and going, Oh, you are you are this is you're the cult hero. You are going to be the cult hero. You are going to be the cult hero of this tournament and in the same way that you see you know, to this I've walked around Wembley two or three times today and I've seen still quite a few Paul Gascoigne shirts, I can very easily see quite a few more uh Greedish Seven shirts gonna be popping up after that victory. It's amazing. I, I I don't particularly like Wembley Stadium as a sporting venue. I think, yeah, it's nice, big size, but it's quite annoying to get in and out of. But Wembley Walk makes sense now. You know, it's that that, that little thing of when your football team wins, your your weekend's that much better. Uh, when England get a good result at Wembley Stadium, you go, maybe that's not a bad stadium anymore. Maybe, m- maybe this is worthwhile. <laughs> Shall I tell you why I think Wembley's a great stadium? I'm all ears, man. It's because it, it it actually made me enjoy Coldplay. Oh, that's how you, is that the barometer? Is that the barometer? Yeah. Is that how you judge it? I had a good night at the Coldplay concert, so I mean, it can't be that bad a place. There must be there must be something magical about it. There was a basically a little miniature festival outside Wembley Stadium for about two hours after full time. So you sort of. As you walk down Wembley Way, eventually you get past the box park and whatever, and you just can sort of veer off to the right, and there's the shopping centre, whatnot. And then if you get left, you go up the main stairs and go up to Wembley. And just before the main steps, basically 100, 150 people congregated, absolutely not keeping in terms of social distancing rules. And they had their stereos and their speakers, and they were singing and singing and drinking beer and kicking around footballs for the better part of two hours, singing, you know. Southgate, you're the one, Sweet Caroline, the national anthem. Uh, there was a particularly stirring rendition of Please Don't Take Me Home. And I honestly, I just called up my mum and told her I loved her. It, it just felt like one of those days. You're like, yeah, this is, that's what football is for. And I, I can't make that sound more intelligent than that. But football is, 
it's the most important thing in the world that is not that important. But football is best is about connecting people and and hope, right? And for once, the cumulative hope we put into that England team and this is a very fractured time to be English, right? I'd say this is probably the only time that I can look at an England flag and go, that's nice, that's friendly, they don't mind people that look like me. Um, and to see people from all over the country, a lot of them also seeing them, you know, seeing their mates for the very first time due to lockdown, be that happy over one very particular thing. And then go, you know what? Not only are we really happy today, but there's a very good chance we're going to be really, really happy on Saturday as well. That's uh, that's really special. I'm going to hold on to these memories for a long time. Do you know that point you made about, you know, country being fractured and at this time and for the past couple of years? Gareth Southgate is just a nice bloke. He's And he's a genuine bloke. And it's kind of like it, it reels against everything that we we kind of experience over the last few years. You know, there's been so much sort of um, infighting between between us all for for various different reasons. But uh, you know, I see a lot leveled at him saying that um, there was one ex England national saying that um, we needed uh, Rhea Winston or. Uh, Idris Elba to to go into the uh, to the dressing room before the game and give a stir and uh, team talk uh, beforehand. That's not what we need. We, we've done all that, you know, the, the sort of chest beating uh, kind of stuff. We've done all that. It, it, it didn't work before. You, we need somebody like Gareth Southgate. You know, going back to to be, uh, pre-tournament when he uh, you know released that um, his piece about uh, you know. Cr- trying to create unity amongst us all before the tournament, you know, and for everything we've been through in the last few years with through Brexit and, and the pandemic and, you know, he's the type of person we should look up to. He's the type of person, he's the type of person and type of leader that we should look up to. Look at the leaders we have, you know, he should, be, you know, regardless what happens now, regardless what happens now in the tournament, he still should be celebrated because just just through being a, genuine, a genuinely thoroughly nice man. I've seen images of contrasting Gareth Southgate from Euro '96, and obviously there's been interviews. You know, after the game, he was asked, "How does it feel? Does it feel redemptive?" And Southgate, in his very good elder statesman way, is very much like, "Well, it's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's about what these group of boys I've got here have to do." And you know, he. There is a very uncommon decency to him. It, it, it is common decency, but it comes across as so refreshing and so startling because it's not about him ever, really. And it's not about him exercising any, any of his old demons over a game that happened 25 years ago because as far as Gareth Southgate is concerned, that was 25 years ago and he has to deliver that, right? It's about creating an atmosphere and an environment for the place he's currently got to go out there and do their best. And if you look at those players right now in that England team, right, you look at the fact that their top goal scorer is Raheem Sterling. And I'm sure if anyone listening to this podcast thinks back as to the reaction as to when England last got knocked out of the Euros in Euro 2016 and the things that were being said about Raheem Sterling, and you look at how transformative Raheem Sterling is, he's probably England's most important attacking player now, right? And the fact that he's got all those goals and he was born stones throw away from Wembley Stadium. He's got that tattoo on him as well, right? And even then, if you ask Raheem Sterling, how are you feeling about your importance to this England team? He wouldn't talk about himself. He'd most likely talk about everyone else, right? This is a England team that believes in collective hard work. And I don't think they need tub thumping or talking about old memories and England versus Germany in terms of history. I think the fact that they went to Wembley and went, you are just another football team and we are going to match you man for man and then when you get tired we will bring on extra men and we will beat you in 90 minutes and they did it beat for beat they shattered one of the oldest myths that we were all really terrified of Chris on that little bit there was saying oh it's going to go into penalties right we were all still afraid of old England and what England used to be and what this national team used to be and here's Southgate in a whole crop of very very nice boys and I should find a more intelligent way to say it other than nice boys but they are just so nice the way Grealish sort of 
went over to Harry Kane and Kane scored and like squeezed his face. <laughs> it was just such a... You're just a bunch of lovely lads. Um, so yeah, create new memories. Create a new England where it's not always about pain and disappointment, but are about hope. When he did his interview after the game, and just towards the end of his interview, when uh, he referenced David Seaman, he looked up with a big screen, seeing David Sque- uh, Seaman on the on the big screen. And he talked about, you know, I looked at David Seaman and thought, I can't do anything about what happened in 96. I can't do anything to change what happened in 96. But what I can do, I can do what he's done today. You know, change the psyche, you know, change, you know, how we how we approach these games in the future. And in doing that, and then when he was talking about David Seaman, you could see in him that he was genuinely carrying, still carrying what happened in 96. And anything that happened around him missing that penalty, it wasn't anything to do with feeling sorry for himself. His emotion towards David Seaman is that he's looked at him and thought, I've stopped you from one of the biggest days in your career. And he'll feel that for the, for the other 20, 22, 21 players in that squad as well. And he's carried that all this time. And the fact that he's come this far and come to this point, well, like I said, he has changed how we approach the game, uh, this, these types of games in the future. Yeah, he succeeded. Yeah, I mean, it just turns out that he is a magnificent human being, Gareth Southgate, and and that's it, he is human. I think a lot of people in the world at the moment that are in the news and in the headlines all the time, you look at them and you think they're, they're not human, but you can relate to Gareth Southgate. And as it turns out as well, he actually knows what he's doing tactically as well. There was a few questions asked before the game about systems, about personnel, I mean... I'm guilty of doing this, crying out for Jack Grealish to be starting for England. But actually, Carl, the right decision was to leave him on the bench and bring him on to change the game. Yeah, yeah. I think we said this after Croatia where where I said, I have no idea how smart Southgate is, but I know he's not stupid. I know he's not silly. And he, he does this. And this is a very pronounced style of football, right? And I... When we do, when the BBC do do their little montage of of Euro twenty twenty, I don't think they're going to have many bits of England outside of England's goals or outside of English fans cheering because for thirty to forty five minutes, that's scrolling your phone, that's thinking about your direct debits. But if Southgate wants to go, you know what? I can just hold any opposition down for thirty minutes, and then when the time comes, I can turn the screw and bring on the player. That's fantastic, right? There was a, I'd say the first. 10, 15 minutes of the second half, it looked as if Germany were going to stamp their authority on the game, right? Joshua Kimmich was coming in from the right-hand side and he was picking up those pockets on the left. And I am very scared of Joshua Kimmich because I think he's secretly one of the best central midfielders in the world. Uh, And there was a little bit where he was picking up those moments on the right and he was getting those triangles with Kai Havertz and Tony Cruz. And I was going, here it comes. It's coming. This is is the bad time. This is when they, they score the goals. But... There's a resilience to this England team. There, There is a method in here. And I'm not going to say this method is thrilling. I'm not going to say this method isn't without inherent risk, as David has said. We haven't seen this England team concede yet. Uh, I think there is something to the Scotland draw that shows the weakness of this system, which is basically you do enter games where the opposition is not only technically good, but also has basically an emotional power boost, right? Scotland went to Wembley and went, we're playing England. Let's play a little bit better. Whereas, luckily, Germany don't regard England as too much of a rival, so they went, this is just another game. That might change playing the playing Ukraine in the quarterfinal. That might change playing whichever team makes it to a possible semi-final. That's me touching on wood. Um, and that might change again completely because every single final of an international tournament has a massive emotional component to it as well right so this method works and the fear i had before this game was this method works but when you're playing against the france or you're playing against a portugal you're playing against a germany you're playing it you're using this method against teams that are also very well versed at this method and i thought i'm not sure if england has as many superstars as germany but southgate went you know what trust the process and 
I'm going to keep trusting it from now on. I'm going to try not to get mad at lineups. I'm going to try not to get mad at when he's making his subs. And I'm just going to try and sit there. And when it gets to the right, you know, scrolling my phone time, I'm just going to go, he wants me to scroll my phone at this point in time. <laughs> I mean, David, he he's look, must look at his bench, Gareth Southgate, and he can throw on Mason Mount. He can throw on Phil Foden. He can throw on Jaden Sancho. He can throw on Jack Grealish. You know, he, he's picked the right player to come on. Because if you're a Germany defender, you know it's been a, it's nil nil. It's been a, been a little bit cagey. But you know, Saka has has run at them. Sterling's run at them. The last thing you want to see is a Jack Grealish come on, and it, and it was him that ultimately changed the game. Involved in both goals, and it's it's a masterclass from Southgate. I think I think Jack Grealish called it a masterclass actually after the game. Everything he's done has worked to perfection. And if he'd have had a plan of how the game was going to go, how he wanted it to go, I don't think it would have been too far away from what happened. No, no, I, I can't see it. And I think that, you know, we've talked about the attacking threats that we've got. They're, they're all like uh, different tools in the toolbox. You know, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're not all the same type. They've all got their own little sort of skill sets. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, the, the goal that we scored, especially the first goal, I thought was a brilliant goal. You know, really well-worked goal. Um, and key in that was the substitute that he brought on, Jack Grealish. Because you could say that he's just got the ball and he just passed it wide to short to cross in. But when he gets the ball back from Kane, he pauses with the ball just for a split second. I think it's Kimmich that comes in from the right. Now, if he passes it straight away, Kimmich was already on his way there and there's a chance he can affect that the pass out wide or certainly affect Shaw when he gets the ball. But he doesn't. He just stops it momentarily, which stops Kimmich and then Kimmich can't, when the ball's passed, he's got to start a go again rather than already be on the move. So that little piece, it's a tiny, tiny detail. But in the in the uh, scheme of the goal, it gives Shaw enough time to be able to put the ball in behind the uh, the back four, and or the back three, sorry, and uh, in the space for Sterling. And I thought it was just a brilliant goal. Shaw and Grealish seem to really enjoy playing with each other. We saw that, we saw in the Czech Republic as well. There's there's a pleasing amount of overlaps and understanding on both those gentlemen, and I don't think it's there when it's Shaw and Sterling on the left hand side. But that possibly might have been by design from from Southgate in that first half of basically I don't want Shaw to overlap, so basically tell him don't leave it to Sterling. And what you saw, especially in certain segments in the first half and in the start of the second half, was Germany were terrified of Sterling. They gave like double and triple teams to Sterling. So you had that fun thing when Grealish came on, you had one player that could suck in two players onto him with his dribbling. You had Sterling who could also suck in two players and all of a sudden, oh, hello, Harry Kane's in the middle of the field. There's only one defender. Second goal, hooray! No, but I mean, it, it could be the case that Sterling's, you know, he's a more natural forward. Grealish is a more natural midfielder. The fact that... Sterling's starting positions will probably be higher and less space for short to go into. If it really she's a little bit deeper and inside, you can see that click that space more clearly. He's more likely to go forward. But again, of course, it might just be the, the fact that they are being conservative in the early stages of the game. Yeah, and, and in between the two goals, Carl, there was that horror moment where Raheem Sterling nearly undid all his good work for, for the goal. Thomas Muller ends up through on goal. And I'm going to be honest, at that point, if you'd have said to me, do you want to put? Do you want to put your house on this going in? I'd have absolutely a hundred percent done it because this is Germany. This is Thomas Muller. They don't miss chances like that. Thomas Muller doesn't put to put the ball wide in that situation. Did it get in slow motion? But he for did you as well. Oh, oh, horrendous! I was like slumped in my chair as he was running through on goal because you just know, Carl. You just know he's going to put it away, but he doesn't. So there's there's a little moment where I think John Stones either stumbles or he can't quite decide which runner he wants to get. So there's a little gap, and when when that happens and the ball goes through, I throw my hands behind my head, going, "Oh God, it's happening!" And I have the moment where you know time slows down, and I'm looking left and right, and I can see other journalists in the press box, and we're all doing the same pose where we've both we're all holding our heads, and we're all, "Oh God, it's happening! It's happening! It's happening!" And David, I, I, I want to see some goalkeeping thing from you because. To me, it looked as if Pickford, well, he didn't get his body shape right, basically got the timing right. So it looked as if he was going, I'm going to wait for Muller, and the moment Muller takes a heavy touch or a bad touch, I'm just going to try and shock him. 
but I've watched it again on the replay on the highlights, and his body position is not great. So it looks uh, like it, it looks like he's down on the line or trying going, going into a windmill. Break yeah, person. That's yeah, what it looks like yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, was it was this good goalkeeping from Pickford, bad finishing from Muller, bit of both? Well, I, I'm glad you've I'm glad you brought up the subject really because one, I think Jordan Pickford deserves a big mention here. You know, he's he's been uh, he hasn't been overly worked, but he's been solid. And he's been there when we've needed him. And he's probably been the, the Jordan Pickford that I'd like to be in more. Uh, you know, it, it's for England, there's something happens when it's when he plays for England that he's less flighty. You know, he, he does seem to be calm. He, does, he seems to have this sort of real big confidence about him. Not that he doesn't for Everton, but like I said, it, it, it's, a, it's a different st- uh, sort of mental state from. And I think in, in, in this... Uh, in, for this one particular situation, it's difficult sometimes. You stay you, as a keeper, you try and stay up as long as possible, and then react as late as late as you can. And obviously, he's went to you know, I think Muller's opened up his body to, uh, so he could go both sides, and obviously switches the ball, comes back across to to Pickford's right, and Pickford goes that way, and he just hangs out a lot. And and that's the most you can do sometimes, you know. You, if you stay too late, then the ball's already passed and you can't react quick enough. So he's, he's leaned to his left. And then as this ball's gone past, he just swung a leg out at it. Yeah. Is he affected Muller? Probably not. You know, it's probably just a, a miscalculation from, from Muller. But I think that um, overall, John Pickford's been uh, been great for us this uh, this tournament. And uh, long may continue. Because... Uh, and, and, uh, a lot of the reasons I'm saying this as well, because I, you know, I'm a big fan of Jordan's. You know, I think he's a very good keeper, and he's come through. You know, coming for a hell of a lot of stick in these past two years. Nah, oh, yeah. it's good to see him on success. Yeah, I think it's remarkable the fact that for the majority of this Premier League season, and I hold my hands up, I was among a number of England watching fans going, "It, it can't be Pickford, please, Southgate, save Pickford from himself, and save him from himself because he will make a mistake," and. Nick Pope has been injured. Dean Henderson's been somehow injured. And these aren't things that come into my mind. When I'm looking at those starting lineups of England, I, I'd be Pickford. I just glaze over Pickford. He's just there on the team sheet. And a goalkeeper being almost unnoticed shows how just really effective he's been. His distribution's been excellent. He's had some really good conversations with Declan Rice and with John Stones. I mean, what... You can clearly tell he's basically going, look, this area stand out of it because I'm going to take care of that. And he's there are those moments where Jordan Pickford's on possess, you know, in possession and he's going for a quarter turn. I'm not scared anymore because, <laughs> or I'm not as you know, scared as I, I'm not as scared as I used to be because he's got this for the time being. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And one thing I would say about him uh, that you have to give massive credit for is that for all he's been through in these last couple of seasons, certainly since he joined Everton, he looks unaffected. Whereas I think we've seen goalkeepers in the past have had incidents happen to them or pressures built up on them and you can see it in them. And I don't think, especially in this tournament, you know, if there's any cracks in your game, they show up on big, you know, on these big, um, on these big occasions, and touch wood, nothing showed up so far. Yeah, he's been absolutely spot on. I've got to be honest; I had my doubts about him going into the tournament, but he hasn't hasn't put a foot or a glove wrong really, and he has got an assurance about him, and I think he's quite a calming influence on the England defence as well, which I would wouldn't <laughs> have said would be something that would happen to credit to him. Well. But four clean sheets now. I think. Yeah, that's incredible. I think he's there for Golden Glove. Off the top of my head, he's got a good chance. He's got a decent it's chance. Or Italy, maybe Italy. Yeah, Italy. Uh, Italy conceded one goal. They conceded obviously in the, in the knockout. I can't remember in the group. I think yeah, it is one not. goal. I've been told it's 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 one goal. Yeah, right. And just just before we we finish talking about the game, is this lift off for Harry Kane? Just briefly from both of you, I'll come to you first, David. I'll say this. If he's given chances and opportunities like the one that he's uh, been given today, two chances that he's been given today, then yeah, it will be. And I think that's probably more key to it than anything else. You know, he can score all kinds of goals. Of course he can. 
but he still needs to have that service into him and, and given the opportunity and putting the positions where he can show he's, he's finishing uh, prowess. And I think that um, another good thing is, you know, you know, we've got, what was it, five days until um, until Saturday. So it's, uh, it's a good chance. And I think it's probably more more of a chance to give him uh, give him rest and try and let him recover properly uh, for Saturday. Yeah, I, th- I think he's still... I, he's well. Let me start again. He's still a net positive for England in possession, even when he wasn't scoring. And I think the nature of how this draw is, has opened up, and the fact that it is Ukraine, will probably give him a bit of confidence going into that game. Going right, I know how to attack this team, uh, and I think Southgate might release. The handbrake just a little bit, so we we might get. I'd say maybe Jack Grealish doesn't start, but I'd say rather than bring on Grealish in, in the 60th minute, you might see him in in the 55th or at halftime. And I think that that's the sort of thing where I could I could very easily see a, a Harry Kane brace uh, in this game if England are allowed to score two goals again. We'll see. This is the England show from the Athletic. Keep up to date with all of our Euro 2020 podcasts and writing by following us at The Athletic UK. A sneaky feeling the England win might be front page news and it will be everywhere you look for the next few days, but you won't get any better coverage than you'll get on The Athletic. So what do you guys say is awaiting subscribers, legacy or otherwise? Ooh, I really enjoyed, I'm not sure if this already mentioned in this podcast, but I'm Really enjoyed George Culkin's piece, just looking at all the the small areas up and down the country that made... Oh, yeah, I read that this morning, yeah. It's that thing of, there's so much brilliant stuff in the athletics, sometimes I've got to wait until I have a nice little train ride and I can read through a four in a row. So I enjoyed that from George, thank you very much. Uh, I also enjoyed uh, Jack Pickbrook's piece on, where Jack Pickbrook and, and Stuart James wrote a piece on, on the data hub of England and just basically how much information goes through St. George's Park and how they, they account for things like uh, distance covered and, and injury profiles of these England players. Basically, you're an England player and you've played over three and a half thousand minutes this season. Are you likely to get injured if you play in this international break or not? Which I think is really, really interesting considering how, if you think how many very good football players are not at the Euros for certain countries. And I'd say the only notable omission for England right now is Trent Alexander-Arnold which touching wood that's that's good uh, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been on this podcast before saying I, I didn't think I'd see Harry Maguire play before the knockouts and he doesn't look like he's missed a step entire, at all so uh, credit to the hub and, and the work that the physios and sports science team are doing in England right now to keep everyone in tip-top shape and while we've got you, Carl Anker, I think Carl Anker's written a match reaction piece as well, hasn't he? I did. Uh, I had a had a go with with Dom Feifeld in in the Google Doc, trying to sum up those ninety minutes. It's really fun doing those pieces because we have a bunch of questions or vague ideas as to how the game will go, and then around about the sixty fifth, seventieth minute, we get locked in and go right. These these are the dominant narratives. So. Basically, the moment England starts scoring goals, then we understand what this game is all about, which led to me typing a lot in all caps going, Harry Kane! Oh my God! He's amazing! There'll be plenty of other reaction pieces, I think, as well, weren't there, on The Athletic? Uh, I understand there will be double-figure pieces uh, in reaction wow. to England's victory over Germany coming up in the next coming days. So, uh... To be fair, <laughs> if you, if, yeah, if you, if, it'd be a... It's a great one to talk about, so I would expect there to be plenty of reaction. And don't forget at the moment you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month and read unrivaled Euro 2020 content from our team of writers. All you got to do is go to theathletic.com slash Pod to sign up right now. David, has anything been floating your boat? There has actually. Um, obviously going at knockout rounds, that's uh, penalty shootouts are obviously a big subject. And Oli Keir did a, a great piece um, on how... England are preparing for for penalties, and what Gareth Southgate has changed. And we, we did a uh, we did one of these shows and uh, on penalty shots with Ben Littleton, which is a great listen. Ben Littleton's brilliant on penalties, and not, nothing he does not know about penalties. He's a professor, but you, you get a few reactions uh, to to one of Ben's um, 
one of Ben's quotes where he said that, you know, he's got rid of this, Southgate's got rid of this penalty complex. And a lot of people have replied saying, oh, what, because we've won one, um, one shootout against Colombia. That is factual, of course it is. Yeah. But this piece by Oli K, if, if you're one of those people who think, oh, it's just one uh, penalty shootout, read this piece and it'll uh, inform you how he's preparing and how he's uh, changing how we take penalties. Yeah, I don't know whether Ollie's listening. If he could look into the psychology of England actually beating Germany in a knockout game as well, that might be an interesting <laughs> piece because that's two ghosts that Gareth Southgate has completely extinguished. I mean, to be honest, I still feel sick from Thomas Muller being through on goal. It's been an, an incredible day, so all that's left to do is thank you both for joining me tonight, Carl and David. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and thanks to everyone for listening as well. And just to let you know, our next episode will be another mailbag special. We're going to be recording that on Wednesday, ready for you to listen to on Thursday morning. So subscribers, keep your eyes peeled on theathletic.com and our social channels, and you can get your questions in for the panel. That's our next stop on the pod, and for England, of course, it'll be Ukraine in the Eternal City on Saturday night. I cannot wait. Athletic.